Hi, I'm Dr. Stan Steindl. Welcome to Compassion in a T-Shirt. Today, I'll be speaking with Colleen Marshall, who's a licensed marriage and family therapist, vice president of clinical care at Two Chairs, and a colleague of mine from the Motivational Interviewing Network of Trainers. She's passionate about leadership, effective leadership, and how an approach like motivational interviewing might be brought to improving one's leadership style. And she's passionate about bringing compassion to leadership and organizations. And so I bring you Colleen Marshall. As you know, I, I'm, I've long been a, a Colleen Marshall fan. So I thought I would, I would just. Um, see if I could get a chance to talk to you. So, and I thought, I wondered whether, yeah, if you could just begin by telling us a bit about yourself, I suppose, your um, journey from where you started to where you are now, depending on what you'd like to share. But yeah, what's the Colleen Marshall story so far? Yeah. <laughs> That's a big question. Um, so, uh, so I'm a marriage family therapist by training. So really got into the profession wanting to do therapy, which I used to think was like, shut the door, magic happens therapy. Um, but quickly just kept being asked to be in a leadership role. So, and I'm a big believer in like your life sends you messages and you should probably pay attention to those messages. So every job I was in within three months or so of being in a job, I was promoted. Um, so I took a very loud message that maybe I'm actually just supposed to be a leader um, and lead people that do clinical work. Um, and that's really where my journey has been as most of my career has been moving up sort of the, the chain from manager up to, you know, the top role in organizations that, uh, but always doing clinical work. It's always been therapy or coaching or um, you know, MI-based telephone calls type stuff, um, but always with the core being we're helping humans improve their lives in some way. Um, I was very fortunate when I was a new manager to have a leader, um, Dr. Orville Kuntz was my leader, who was a psychologist, but also had an MBA. And so he trained me really early on to always be thinking about how do you improve clinical programs and processes and clinical care. But at the same moment, how do you lead? How do you be a better leader? How do you think about management? We you know, had breakfast things where we would read Harvard Business Review articles with all of his managers and chat about them and apply them to our clinical work. So I always felt like my brain was being trained to think about both at the same time, like kind of always. Um, and fortunately, while I was under his leadership, I also was introduced to MI and I was mandated to learn MI, which I always find funny because it's like, because we had a contract with, um, uh, at risk, um, uh, young women and part of the risk, re resist, the, um, risk and resiliency, uh, checkup or assessment we were doing, you had to do it using MI. So we had to go learn how to do MI so that we could do this assessment with these young women, um, and we're forced to it. It was contract. You had to, you didn't have a choice. And I remember going in thinking, I don't know why I need this. I have a master's degree. I'm licensed. Like I'm a pretty good therapist and the girls I'm seeing like me and we do very well together. So I'm not sure why I have to go to this training. Um, and then 
in the training, just sort of fell in love with MI and also got really nice coded feedback around things that I thought I was doing that I wasn't doing, like affirmations in particular. They're like, you didn't do even one. I was like, that's not right. I affirm people all the time. <laughs> like, you know, they're like, nope, not one. And I was like, well, that's not good. Like, and so I was really attracted, like from the beginning about just what MI is. Um, and then, you know, I came back and I started trying it with these 16-year-old women. Um, and it changed the dynamic in the room really overnight. Like it stopped me being their mothers and lecturing them about, you know, please stop using meth. It's not good for you and your teeth will fall out to, you know, what are you wanting from your life? And like, you know, talk to me about what meth does bring to your life and what are you hoping for instead? And those kinds of conversations shifted. Um, so because I sort of fell in love with MI and just got really involved in the Mint community and just have felt like my home there. And at the same time, kept moving up this leadership ladder. Um, it just always connected in my mind that the two were not that different, like really good leadership or the way I define good leadership sounds an awful lot like MI. It's really, you know, being, creating the space um, for, to really you know, not to start with, you know, genuine, genuine intention and real clear understanding of the person in front of you, but also clear about where are they wanting to go and what are they wanting for themselves and their career? Um, and why is that? What's the blockers there, which then brings ambivalence and, and you can start thinking about how MI starts being useful and helpful to be listening for the right part of the conversation that moves towards hope um, instead of what a lot of leaders do, I think, is get frustrated with their employees because they are so focused on the sustained stuff they're listening to. And knowing that like both are always in the conversation helped me really um, think about leadership differently. Um, so that's a little bit of just sort of my journey of how MI sort of bled into my thinking about leadership and then the two sort of took off together. Yeah, great answer to my big question. Thank you. Um, <laughs> And there's a lot in there actually that I want to sort of go back to and and firstly back to the beginning because I, I just wondered what do you think it was about you in even in those early years that people picked up on or or felt that they wanted you you know to do more and the promotions happened and so on. I mean do, do you feel like there were certain qualities there certain characteristics or were there skills that you already possessed what what are you thoughts there from the early days of your career yeah I mean I guess honestly I think I've always you know been seen as a leader like you know in, in a junior high which here is you know sixth seventh eighth grade for us mm. um I was ASB president which is all student body president and um you know whenever I got involved in something um I, I just would always sort of move to the top I think a, a bit as I'm I'm outspoken. I, you know, say my opinion. I tend not to um, be afraid of not being liked, I guess. Like, so I'll be the one to raise my hand and ask the CEO an uncomfortable thing. Um, not because I'm trying to put him on the spot, but I'm truly just curious. And I've always been curious, even when I was little, you know, just always been, I need to understand the why and the story behind something. Um, and then I can get behind it. So I think there there's something about me that just has always been seen as sort of a leader. And then in those situations, um, 
I don't know that I had the skill because I definitely can tell you stories where I was not a good leader and like managed people in a way that I feel bad about. And those people are still in the world today somewhere and probably see me and think, why did she write a book? She sucks, <laughs> you know, so, which is why compassion is so important, <laughs> but, yes. but, um, but I, um, but I do think there was like a, a tendency to like step forward or a tendency to raise my hand or a confidence even like I think I always just thought okay like you know fine I can try like I'll I'll give this a go like my first promotion was um being a team leader for um children that had been removed from their homes and they were in our care in a, a short-term shelter so you know these are kids going through some really rough times like they just sort of been ripped out of their parents homes because of abuse or neglect um and now they're living with you know 46 other kids um that also had just had that happen. And that was like my promotion to be in charge of that um, living situation. And I was like, okay, like I'll give it a go. But, you know, now I look back thinking like, you know, what an idiot, like you didn't even know what you were doing. And this is a pretty like scary, scary situation of being, you know, really in charge of these children that are really going through this hard time. And what do you know? Like, you know, I only had a bachelor's degree even back then. Um, so I don't know if that answers it, but I think there's something about like, I just sort of step forward always um, and I'm eager to learn, um, always wanting to get better and better. And yeah. Yeah, there's a there's a sort of a, a confidence, as you say, or, or even courage, really. You know, there's you know, courage is sort of in the mix there, a willingness to step forward and, and, and so on and, and to ask the questions because curiosity is the other piece as well. You know, there's sort of the courage and curiosity um but also it sounds like a, a a very genuine sincere desire to to help others too you know that that's part of it as well the, the curiosity isn't a kind of a gotcha thing it's much more about this genuine desire to to just understand work things out make it better you know that kind of thing um and some of those characteristics were with you even early on and, and perhaps that was a little bit about others around you I mean you're also a little bit of a, a sponge sounds a bit mean but you know you're sort of you do soak up I guess the the kind of the the things that are said or discussed or offered um, by others around you and and that kind of you know you take that on and and then that helps to to shape the direction of things as well yeah I, I think that's that's true I do I mean I I think one thing I so I don't consider myself creative. And I remember a boss of mine once saying, you actually are creative because I pull things from different places. Because I think I, um, and I think MIs helped me with this, but I listen differently. You know, I, like when I'm in meetings, I can hear things different than other people are because I tend to hear something below the surface and then I can pull it up and then I can sort of attach it to stuff. And I think, um, that's a piece of why the curiosity was, it's like, it is me trying to figure it out. Like I want to figure out like how to make things better um, and trying to pull in all these different ideas. And, the, and a lot of times those ideas are not my own. Like they're from different voices in the organization or from different people. Um, and that's been something that's important. Yeah. It's, but also, yes, you, you, you sort of always hungry for um, sort of improving things. You, you're not shy of, recognizing things that perhaps didn't go so well there were some leadership 
boo-boos along the way perhaps and and kind of recognizing those and sort of improving upon those it, it's it sounds like you might say that leadership is something that one can learn or develop or or grow the the kind of the skills there as well am i almost became a practical kind of add on to that you know that that ability to to bring in that skill because after all i suppose leaders clinicians or whoever are, are having kind of human conversations really i suppose and so it's really about good conversations yeah i think that's true i also i mean i always think leadership comes down to character and skill really there's a book I read um, a while back when I was writing the MI Leadership book by um, Robert Quinn, uh, Building a Bridge as You Walk on It. And he talks about this type of leader and being externally focused, internally driven. Um, and anyway, there's other components to it. But but the point being that I think if you're um, if you are really open, right, you're you're accessible and open and you do really want to listen and hear what people have to say, I do think you can learn to be a good leader. And leaders look like different, you know, different can be different kinds of leaders. I think if you if your intention of being a leader is to be in charge or you're wanting a title or you're wanting, you know, the bigger promotion, um, I think those types of leaders might be business-wise effective sometimes, like maybe they can meet certain PNL, you know, deliverables or something. But in my mind, that's not a good leader. That's just somebody that's thinking of humans as resources and um, not really like, you know, leading a charge behind you where an entire company would follow you. So I, so I do think people can grow into leadership if they want to, and they're open into it because I don't I do think it's a it can be a painful process um mm. which is why you know when you and I were chatting about like how does compassion fit into this I think it hugely has to fit into that because you're never going to get a hundred percent on your scorecard as a leader mm. never you know even if you're doing really well there's going to always be things that could be better and you have to be able to hold both that you feel really proud of the work you're doing and knowing that there's a growth edge for you and your company and whatever you're working on, you know. Two, two little kind of concepts have come into my mind as I hear you speak there. What, one is that we're sort of trying to lead with the head and the heart or something. It, it's sort of there's a, a, a combination there. We want to have that logical, rational ability to, I guess, analyze situations or problems and kind of come up with good solutions and move things forward. But we also want to be able to you know, kind of connect with the, the the humans that we're working with, understand, empathize, you know, be able to bring compassion to all of that as well. The other the other sort of combination that I'm hearing a little bit too is is as I reflect on some of the compassion focused therapy theory around the emotion regulation systems, which you kind of know about, the the sort of the the threat system, of course, but also the the drive system and soothing. And it sounds like in some ways, a really effective leader also taps into both drive and soothing, you know, that, that we're, we're wanting to be aspirational, we're wanting to sort of achieve and have success. And, and there's even potentially some competitive sorts of drives there, at least in terms of performance and that sort of thing, but also staying connected to affiliation, you know, relationship connections um helping people to feel safe and uh and and so on any thoughts on those two little kind of ideas 
yeah no I think they definitely um they definitely ring true because I think you have to have the sort of combination um to feel balanced even like that it's three it's like a three-legged stool to keep you kind of um balanced um the the part that I you know what's going through my head when you're talking about helping connecting with people and helping them feel safe too is I I do think the part of uh, the drive slash uh, having the right relationship with folks in a leadership role um, to me comes down to something like the Brene Brown stuff or Jeff Werner who's the CEO of LinkedIn talks about compassionate leadership and he talks specifically about um, compassion is a emotion that is guided by action and so if the idea is compassion is about relieving suffering, then part of having people feel connected and supported and safe in your organization means being clear, which also means sometimes performancing them out of the organization because they're suffering in the job they have right now because they're not thriving, they're not happy, um, they're not doing very well in the job and it's affecting the company and your colleagues and everybody else. But just that human alone then is taking that home and they're not happy and their life is affected. And so I think the two, like the drive of like, we have to have goals that we're all agreeing to work on together is the whole point of a unit of an organization. And then holding that truth while you also have this human in front of you, that's the one that's going to have to do that thing. Um, so I don't know if that connects to what you're saying there exactly, yeah. but that's what went through my head is like, it isn't just having people feel good, right? Or being, um, liking their job. It's being really clear that this is what they want to do. They have the drive and the ambition to want to do this and do it well. Um, and if they aren't and they're suffering in that space because they're struggling or they're not performing or, you know, they're consistently getting negative feedback, I don't want them to stay there, not just because I don't, I need you out of the company because you're not doing what the company needs you to do, but it's also as a human, I don't really love to see you suffering. And I think if you go somewhere else, I'm, you will find somewhere that you're going to thrive. And this just ha doesn't happen to be it, you know? Yeah. Very delicate conversations, isn't it? I, I can see what you mean. There's, there's sort of the, the, the motivation is, is still a compassionate one. Uh, but it might mean the delivery of difficult news or difficult feedback or or even um you know sort of more substantial changes to the person and their their work and and so on um i i do like the idea that compassion is about sort of alleviating and preventing suffering but it's also about flourishing as well if people feel if if people have managed to you know kind of perhaps reduce suffering or, or suffer a little less or feel a little safer and a little bit more secure, uh, then that that is when they can flourish, you know, because they're not now quite so threat system activated. And instead they can, you know, think creatively, explore the world, you know, explore what they uh, might really want to do next, what their aspirations really are. And so flourishing and thriving, I guess, as you said, is sort of, kind of a, a part of of compassion in that way as well that makes sense I like that frame of like it you know it's almost like if you're in pain if you reduce the pain a little bit then you can move a little more or you can you know you can go out for a walk or something and mm. similar like if you're reducing the threat system enough then you can start actually being more creative more whatever you want to bring to the table so as a 
compassionate leader and and perhaps bringing some of the MI kind of notions into all of that. I mean, what what would you say are some of the the things that we can do that will help uh, our th- those who we're leading um, feel more safe, feel more secure, uh, engage more with you know the company and the goals or the the organization and the goals. Um, yeah, any, any kind of sort of practical tips with with all of that? Yeah, I mean the. There, Peter Senge wrote this thing a while ago, the fifth discipline, and he talks about um, personal vision and company vision. Um, and I think that is very MI consistent because I think one of the most important things for me with anyone that I'm directly supervising is knowing them well um, and knowing what their hopes are for their career. So, you know, one of the first things I do with my director of reports now, for example, is when they're, you know, newly on my team, I want to know what do you really enjoy doing and where are you hoping to go in this organization or just even in your life? Like if it turns out that somebody grows faster than the company has a job for you, I see my job as helping you get that job. So, you know, for instance, I'm a vice president right now and if they want to be a vice president and I don't plan on leaving anytime soon, then I do want them to be a vice president, but it might not be here, right? But that is important for me to know then when we are working together, um, every time there's an opportunity to lead a project, I'm matching the project to what they're interested in. Um, and um, and just being clear that I that that's my goal is to grow you in that direction. And if for some reason, if it's misaligned, like if your personal vision for yourself is not gonna be accomplished in this organization, I want us to have that conversation as soon as we can. Like, yeah, I don't, think that's going to happen here. Um, so what about what we're doing here? Are you excited about and or, you know, should we really talk about like someday you might want to be working somewhere else? Because I don't think that that vision is going to happen in this setting. So why that is for MI for me is because then I can hear anytime there's a struggle that comes up, I can already hear change talk, right? So if someone's like, I'm really not sure I can implement X, Y, or Z, or I don't really know if I you know, feel like this thing I want to do or can do, then I can ask questions about, well, how does this thing relate to the goal that you have for yourself on X, Y, or Z, right? And I have it in my, my thinking already that that's their ultimate goal is this, but this task in front of us is just a minor thing on the path to this bigger thing. Um, and I, I do think that's important. When, and when I'm like coaching managers in this stuff, the first thing I ask them when they're talking about the employee that's being difficult or whatever is what is the employee's goals what are they wanting and they're like I'm not really sure I'm like okay well that's you know question number one is like it's people aren't excited about just company goals they're the company goals have to be linked to what they want for themselves so if this is someone who wants to move up into management then help them understand how performing right now helps them get into management right or if this is someone who wants to be the best therapist that's ever been help them understand how this goal helps them be the best therapist that's ever been um and if it doesn't if the goals don't align like don't pretend something that isn't true then figure out like how other pieces of the job can help them grow in this in this way and maybe this expectation is just a table stakes to stay here so they can do these other things that they want to do um but I think that's important because I, 
I think that gets lost sometimes because sometimes it just becomes like the company needs you to get your notes done in two days and needs you to see 25 clients a week and you need to do X, Y, or Z. And that has no context for the person and what they're wanting. So we want to like match it together, you know. Actually, that so on the one hand, yeah, it's really being able to know that other person, know, know sort of some of their strengths, some of the things that perhaps are their lesser strengths or something like that, and, and also what their own goals and aspirations are. And also helping them to understand the organization and where the organization's coming from and just the kind of the reality of that or something. There's a, a sort of an honesty there, I guess, that the leader uh, might offer that, that this is kind of where we're all heading and what we're trying to achieve. And these are some of the key things to get there. And then it's a conversation around how does that match or something like that? You know, you, how does how do your strengths and so on your goals and aspirations fit with where we're heading as an organization. And hopefully it's, there's a match there, a good match, and we can sort of bounce off each other and, you know, make sure that the things that people are doing, are, you know, kind of working for them and taking them in the direction they want, but maybe there's not a match. And then that's a little conversation as well. How can we help you get to your goals, even if it means not being part of this organization, there might be other places where that, that can be fulfilled. Yeah, absolutely. And the, and the, um, yeah, it's, and then, you know, and the other piece that is carving out the, the box that we can play in, right. Cause sometimes there's like, this is a mandate, this is non-negotiable, but then there's places where there are, there is flexibility. So letting them also be really clear, you know, I usually call it like the sandbox you get to play in. It's like, these are things we can't talk about, assuming you want to keep this job. But then here's where there's lots of flexibility, actually. Um, so in this sandbox, like, where do you want to go and how do you want to show up? Because that that is where people can have their own creativity and and do things differently. It doesn't every the job doesn't have to be cookie cutter, you know, in the way that it's delivered. Mm. So I think that, that piece, too, is trying to figure out where does someone have true autonomy um, to make the job their own and be really clear about that and also just be clear the you know i don't think it's helpful to pretend something isn't true like if you have to work 40 hours and you don't want to work 40 hours let's just be clear as long as you want this role that's something you're signing on for and agreeing to you know mm. I'm, i can see that someone who would be wanting to develop their leadership skills you know there there, there might even be little ambivalences that arise for them too you know one one might be this this shift to curiosity, which is to be interested in the person and ask questions and explore and get to know them. And they might have their own leadership sustained talk, you know, but that takes too long. I don't have time for those conversations and and that sort of thing. And, and then the other bit is the the courage really to to share things, to let the to, to have the person fully informed about our our organizational goals and intentions. Sometimes people feel like, well, you know, I, I need to keep some of that to myself, you know, just in case, you know, something, what what if I tell them that it has to be 40 hours a week, and then they say, well, I'm leaving, and now I don't have staff, and I can't find new people, because it's so hard to find clinical staff these days, or things like that. So I can imagine that the leader themselves feels some ambivalence about this kind of thing. I Absolutely. And the thing that's interesting is when we first, when I first started training my teams and MI 
um, you know, the guiding, following, directing style, we would talk about that. Because what I would see is people's natural style as a leader before they start getting feedback falls into the following or directing camp. So you have leaders that are too directive, like they're just blunt, right? Giving you feedback all the time. It's 40 hours, take it or leave it. Like, and they, they're just direct. And then there's no warmth to it, even though the person is doing that because they're kind and caring and they want to be clear with you. And then we have others that are following where they're like, whatever you want, sweetheart. And like, you know, do you don't want to work 40 hours? That's okay. Like, how about 38? And the the two camps really is trying to teach them to be guiding, just like we do in MI, where it's like, how do you be clear with somebody um, about what is needed, but then also listening to what they're needing? Because so let's take the 40 hours as an example. Let's say you have a single mom who has to get home for childcare. And so she needs it to be 30 hour, 38 hours. How can you, how can that be okay? And then also how do you bring it to the team so everybody understands that we're doing something different as an accommodation for this mom? Um, and it's not a standard and we all know we're making an exception and like you're you're being sort of transparent about this instead of just giving in and being like, oh, I don't want to lose her, right? Um, because I do think it's coaching people, but then as a leader, as a person, you have to get comfortable yourself with um how do you give feedback? How do you not avoid conflict? How do you, um, you know, addressing something the first time you see it is much easier than letting something persist for months. And then now you're having to address something that the whole team is complaining about, that everybody's talking about, this person knows people are complaining about it, and you've let it kind of go now for months. Um, that's much harder conversation and much harder to change. So being really comfortable that feedback is part of this process of and leaning into it, but doing it in a way that isn't punitive and hurtful and, you know, in a way that the person can hear it also is tricky. So I, I do think as a leader that a lot of times when I hear people say, I don't really want to get promoted to be a leader. I don't want to manage people. It's because they're afraid of that stuff, right? The feedback stuff. Um, and I, mm. I think it's, you know, I, I think people want feedback and people want to grow as as you know humans as employees as clinicians and so it's a privilege to be in a space where they trust you enough um you know mm -hmm. i think about like michael phelps coach like he hires somebody to teach him to be a better swimmer and he's the best swimmer in the world you know and so people want that so as a leader you've got to be comfortable being a coach and giving feedback and um, not just pretending everything's great all the time but also affirming and saying when things are great but it does take a lot on you because especially when you're empathetic, because you can feel it, you know, I was actually having a coaching conversation this morning with my, um, my managers in my organization. And one of the leaders was talking about a clinician of hers who got, um, we have feedback from our clients all the time. And she got some negative feedback from a client and was really hard on herself about it. And the manager was asking me like, how might, am I have helped me with her, with giving her this feedback? Um, she's like, and the manager was saying, cause I feel like I didn't really do well there and I could have done better. And I stopped for a minute. I said, you know, it's interesting. I'm having this conversation later today about compassion leadership. And what I just noticed is both of you were not self, not sort of tapping into your own self-compassion. Like she went to, she's a horrible therapist, even though this is the first feedback she's gotten 
all year and has seen many clients and is actually a fantastic therapist, but she went to the whole shame spiral thing because of one, you know, one feedback. And then the manager went to, well, cause she was, you know, suffering or not feeling good about the feedback, then I must be not a great leader. I could have been doing that better. And it's just, I don't know. I just thought it was interesting that the pattern was the same, um, but how important it is to be okay with like, yeah, this is hard and it's going to hit you hard and you're going to feel the emotion of your employee, but also you can do it. You just might have to practice and get feedback and you probably are going to screw up sometimes and feel really bad about that. And that's okay because then you'll do better next time. And um, it's just the human condition to not be perfect, you know. And it's the human condition to have that threat system activated, isn't it? I guess that's sort of in in the CFT kind of conceptualization of that of what you just described. Yeah, it's sort of threat system activation for both parties. There's a sort of a a social threat basically that you know both of them are worried about you know kind of how they might be seen by others or uh, whether they'll be approved of or you know whether they'll be rejected you know socially or even you know, ostracized or something like that, it, not necessarily at a conscious level, but just at that very deeply ingrained primitive brain sort of level. And, and straight away in comes self-criticism. And, and so the, the clinician is, is kind of critical of, of themselves, you know, kind of with this, this negative feedback, you know, kind of starting to, to make sort of more global statements. I'm a bad clinician. Then the the leader is sort of thinking, oh, I did that wrongly. I should have done better. You know, I'm a bad leader. Um, perhaps the client, whoever gave the the feedback is thinking to themselves, oh, I, I didn't do well enough as a client. You know, like sometimes <laughs> it, it's all these humans kind of having threat system. And it really, it, it really speaks to, yes, how, how do we, manage some of that the 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 anxiety the self-consciousness you know the the concern for wanting to do a good job worried about how other people will will see us and i can relate to that myself a lot you know and and it it probably is the biggest barrier really sometimes to having those uh those more difficult conversations in a timely manner you know to be able to actually do what you were saying before you know to pick up on some sort of feedback that we need to to give but giving it straight away rather than procrastinating or postponing or avoiding those conversations because i think people like feedback but i think people also feel ambivalent about feedback it, it's it's sort of hard sometimes we do a lot of um we do things like uh, routine outcome measurement, which I think you all do as well, perhaps. And we also look at, um, you know, sort of early dropout rates and things like that. And, and you know, sometimes there is tricky feedback there in terms of, you know, X percent of your clients attended one or two sessions and didn't rebook sort of thing. And, you know, having that conversation, I feel myself nervous going into those conversations worried that I might hurt the hurt the person's feelings not knowing that it's a good thing to do and to monitor all of that but just hesitate and then you know perhaps put it off till next time I wonder how we can conjure up the kind of curious 
courageous sort of thing that you really seem to possess, you know, in abundance, although I know that you're very modest about it as well. But that's that's interesting, the, the courage, the, the, the down-regulating of threat system and the really engaging this kind of soothing system, drive system combination. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think it's tricky. I, I don't know that people, like you said, I don't know that people love, love feedback. I do think people like to grow and want to be better and better and better. Like, I just, I think that's a core belief I have as most people are trying to do a good job and most people are trying hard to um, grow in, in the way that they can. Um, and I, I, you know, as you were talking, I was just reflecting on a story that leader I was telling you about, Dr. Kuntz, when I was a newer manager, I had a therapist um, who's now a good friend of mine that was I was supervising um, and she was fantastic she was fantastic with the kids like if I ever needed her to see anyone she could really see and and um, provide therapy to nearly everyone and was just a fantastic therapist and her notes were always late and her notes were not always um, you know great because she just didn't prioritize that and I remember my supervisor and I didn't talk to her about this stuff because I was like, I just don't want to talk to her about the notes because I don't want to like diminish how amazing she is because she actually is very, very good. And I was talking about this note stuff just feels dismissive. Like it just feels like I'm missing how talented she is by bringing this up. And Dr. Kuhn said to me, do you think she likes having an asterisk next to her name? And I go, what do you mean? He's like, you're saying so-and-so is great accept and there's like an accept next to her name he goes do you think she would want to want that I was like no like this person wouldn't want that she would want to be her name is she'd want me just to say she's great period right and he said well you're you're denying her that chance right now um, because you're not giving her that feedback you're not sharing with her the asterisks um because you know for all good reasons and all these nice things you're saying but you're not giving her the chance. So that was like early learning for me is like, that's not fair. Like it's not fair for her. And it's something that I say to my team now is my hope is when I talk about you to anybody, you could walk in the room and sit down, especially if I were talking to my boss about you and what I'd be saying to him, I'd already had said to you, like, it would be that transparent. Like there would never be this, um, I see your performance differently in a different room that you're not in. Um, because I want you to have as much feedback as I can give you so that you can do with it what you will and um, be as good as you can be. And, and with this, you know, to finish the story, when I did start giving this therapist that feedback, she, of course, turned it around. And then, yeah, I'd, anytime I was asked how was so-and-so, I'd be like, she's great. She's amazing. There's nothing like other than I'd love her to promote her and have her start supervising other people and training other people. She's just fantastic. And I, there was never an asterisk anymore. Right? Mm, no more asterisks. Yeah. That's what I, I mean, and that's for me too. Like I, it, I, I just, I want someone, even though I don't love to get feedback sometimes because it hurts and I wish I was perfect, but I don't want to miss out on the opportunity that there's something you're seeing that I'm not aware of. Um, and if I am aware of it, I'd love to chat with you about, I don't know what to do about this. You know, mm. like I know, for instance, I have typos constantly. I'm bad at it. Um, I send out, you know, there's funny stories about me sending emails that said, come talk to me about, I thought I wrote payroll, but it actually said parole, you know, <laughs> so someone's like <laughs> coming into my office, ready to talk about someone on parole and 
was really, I was talking about, there was an issue with payroll. So like, I know this about myself. And so if someone who points out like, Hey, your, your edit, your typos are a problem. I'd love to talk to them about like, you know, it's been a problem since I was in elementary school. So I'm not really sure, you know, what to do about it. I'm not sure how to improve upon it. I've tried, um, you know, in certain situations I can make a more concrete effort. I can also put editing stuff into place, but I'd love a call, like a, a collaborator with me on, yeah, I don't want that to be my reputation, but I'm also tried and it's really hard. And so do you have thoughts I haven't thought of, or, you know, here's what I have put in place. Is there things I'm missing? Um, like even that having a partner in my growth is useful, right? Um, but avoiding telling me that I have typos doesn't bring in the, opp the opportunity for us to talk about it, you know? Mm. I was gonna say, cause I'm not gonna bring it up. I'm gonna be like, hi, I'm Colleen. I have typos, like, you know, so. <laughs> but... Yeah. Yes, I, I really do appreciate that kind of uh reframe in the mind the asterisk one you know this idea that um when we don't provide feedback about something that we've noticed about the person then we're preventing them the opportunity of you know knowing that understanding that bringing awareness to it maybe even bringing change to it because there are different forms and functions of self-criticism too let alone also you know what how you're describing it i mean there it, it is possible to have uh you know compassionate encouragement self-correction self-improvement you know not all self-criticism is bad the self-hating you know kind of stuff is more problematic but it is actually quite good michael phelps or um serena williams or whoever they often will be very good at noticing the things that they're not doing so well and then practicing it uh, and so as a leader to to just shift the the kind of the idea in our head and to think okay well I, I really do have this asterisk in my mind about this person I need to share that so that they have a chance to to improve on it and, and yeah things like notes um, keeping to time having the letters back to the the medical practitioners or the referrers um, there's lots of different <laughs> bits and pieces that really yeah it's great to just kind of share that and, and work on it and so on it's tricky when it's something that's going to be really difficult for the person to change you know like for example a long-held you know kind of struggle with spelling for example and and so um you know sometimes we, we're sort of thinking about that piece of it as well but but yeah sort of seeing if there's a way to to kind of not have asterisks i, I really really appreciate that so last sort of little more formal question, where do you think self-compassion does fit in with all of this? It sounds like you would see it at, at kind of multiple levels, you know, that the, the, the leader is being compassionate, but we're also wanting to bring self-compassion in for the, for the, the person that we're working with, in for the leader, you know, self-compassion seems important across, across the board. Yeah, I think for sure it is. And I, I mean, in my mind, self-compassion always goes with growth. Like if you're going to try anything, you want to learn a dance move, self-compassion has to be right with you, right? Because you're going to look foolish and you need to be okay with the fact that you're looking foolish because you're trying to achieve something. Um, uh, you know, 
I think it's a, it's something to build and remind because um, as much as it's important also to give feedback, it's also important to remind people what you notice they're doing really well at and acknowledge that too and like help them uh, reflect on that. You know, so like the therapist we we're talking about is reminding her like, this is the first thing you've heard and you've had a hundred clients that have given you really positive reviews. And what does that say to you to help build that internal dialogue of actually you are a good therapist and, but you're, you know, and there's growth for all of us, like whatever that statement is. Um, I also think as a leader, it's important just to be vulnerable. You know, thing I do a lot is tell stories about myself and my career. So when somebody's, you know, feeling bad about, I just managed this person and it didn't go so well, it's like, yeah, being a leader is super hard and we don't get it right every time. Um, mm -hmm. I know I certainly haven't got it right every time. And here's a little story about, you know, something I did mostly just to, to say it's okay to not be perfect, but also to um, hold up and, you know, your intention was good and you were trying hard and we're not perfect. And that's just the human condition. Um, so trying to, you know, build in that with whatever you're asking the person to reflect on a lot of times like when I'm doing evaluations with folks I ask them to do their self-reflection first and most of them go to how they need to improve and I pause them and say before we go there I want you to first just spend some time on what you've done well this year um, and that that part of self-compassion I think is important too is like just acknowledge that you know there's growth edges for all of us of course but let's also talk about um you know, if you were yourself's best friend, what would you be saying to yourself? And you'd be saying, you actually did a really good job this year. And there's like two things you wish you'd done better, you know? Mm. So just building in structure there, but also modeling it, I think is important. And then just mm. even, for, you know, myself as a leader, I have to remind myself and I luck luckily have a great support system because my husband partner will always be the, like my biggest cheerleader. So I'll say something in bad about like, I had a bad day or I did this really bad. And he's like my self-compassion voice and telling me like, well, actually you're really good. And it's like, you know, but you did a great job. And I'm like, myself, oh, right. Yeah. I'm not, I don't totally suck. Okay. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yes. The, the self-compassion there is, is actually made up of many uh, different kind of components. There, there's, there's sort of self-appreciation and self-affirmation that's sort of in there. There's perhaps a little bit of self-forgiveness or something like that along the way. And, and then there's kind of self-encouragement and, you know, keeping on going. And, and, and I, I appreciate that idea of, you know, self-compassion and growth always go together. You know, like we said earlier on, when we're really suffering or we're deep in our more shame-based self-criticism, very difficult to grow, very difficult to to sort of progress and move forward in, with things because we're busy feeling small and trying to hide away and just sort of um, inhibited and feeling bad about ourselves. And, and so self-compassion and growth really are kind of, you know, close cousins, siblings maybe even. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think your support system is important there too. Like I think about yeah. when I'm in a shame spiral, the thing I learned from Brene Brown's work is like the best way to turn off shame is to speak shame, but you have to have like a trusted circle. So I'll reach out to a colleague at work I trust or a good friend of mine. And um, I don't actually reach out to my husband because he's just going to tell me all, you know, everything that's great about me. And I need someone that's more balanced in those moments. So I know to like call out, you know, a girlfriend of mine and she'll be like, yeah, 
didn't so didn't that didn't go so well but you know it's the first time you haven't done so well on that thing but yeah that you could have done a little better and that balance helps me like get out of shame and be like okay mm. like now I can actually think about this so I, just mm. your support system I think is yeah. as important as your own internal dialogue I think you know mm. Yes, your your husband is a bigger Colleen Marshall fan than I am, I think, isn't he? <laughs> he'll always he'll always say. But he is good in that in that way. But no, it, you you raise a really important point, which from a compassion focused therapy point of view, is the third flow of compassion, really, isn't it? Is is receiving compassion and opening yourself up to that and being able to to sort of have people in one's life that that you've feel safe with to to kind of go to in in these times because you're also wanting to try to you know sort of work with those asterisks asterisks as they a- appear um yeah. as well okay well um you mentioned your book so what you could just tell us that what's the the title there i'll put it in the in the notes as well but yeah what's the book yeah, so it's motivational interviewing for leaders um, of uh, helping professions is the full title. It's by myself and Annette Nielsen, um, so good. And it really, you know, high level is just how to apply MI in a leadership context of the specific pieces of MI and where it fits with MI and um, and what parts you might want to modify um, when you're bringing MI into a leadership role. Hmm. Um, Are there other ways as well that people could engage with your work that you would suggest? So there, there's a nonprofit organization called Milo, Motivational Interviewing for Leaders and Organizations that was started by um, Mint members, Motivational Interviewing Network of Trainers members um, that, that we have a LinkedIn group and we have a Facebook group. Um, and it's just like-minded folks that are all thinking about how MI can help leadership and organizations. Um, so we have practice groups we have webinars we have just you know asking each other questions in the social media um, places and there's a um, another book uh, written by some other members of milo also out there called mi lead um, that is a little different than my book but um, has different components that are somewhat similar um, so there's definitely it's a it's a free nonprofit organization folks can join um, if they're interested and we have some recordings of lectures we've done and practice groups we've done that people can access on our Vimeo account too, if they're interested. Yes. And, and your book is, is certainly a, an excellent read. I'd recommend that. And I am hoping to in 2024 to engage more with Milo. So um, you might have to put up with me joining some of those <laughs> practice groups and so on, depending yeah. on the the time conversion, I think is going to be the, the, uh, the interesting bit, but um practice groups so for those because of the time zone thing so you can if you can't come during the day the time certainly you can watch recordings if you want to the practice groups are recorded as well yeah Yeah. well thank you very much for offering us your time and and wisdom to discuss mi compassion and leadership thank you very much for inviting me it's been fun thanks dan thank you